Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Small Business Big Stories podcast. On this episode, I get to chat with an impressive young man who really expresses his love and passion for finance, investing, and helping people build better financial literacy. We chat about how important it is for people to be open about discussing their finances and not think about it as a taboo topic. And in a conversation that I thought was going to be primarily about understanding investing and how you can use it to build a cushion or a savings to grow your business actually ended up being a conversation about addressing your spending habits, understanding your wants versus your needs. And you will understand that John has taken discipline to a whole other level in regards to his spending and has really become smart about money and where he allocates his money to, and how as a result, helped him build his own business, Prevail Lifestyle, which is a powerlifting apparel company. We will get deeper into why John decided to go this route with his company, and you'll get to know him a little bit better uh, in this episode. I'm really excited for you guys to listen in. Um, I put it out there on social media, asking people what topic they would like to discuss, and this was the number one topic understanding where to find the money to start a business. So guys, get ready (laughs) and uh, just listen to John's words of wisdom. Trust me, you are going to love this one. Well, hey, JR, it's really nice to have you on. Uh, Thank you so much for making the time. And um, do you mind if I call you JR or John? Of what do you course, rather go by? Of course, either one. Okay, okay awesome. Awesome. So um, yeah, you were on my podcast. Not too many people know, but when I started my podcast, my initial podcast a couple of years ago, you were one of my first uh, guests. And it was such a pleasure because now we're sort of having a different conversation. We had a conversation more about um, athletics and uh, you know, powerlifting. And that is sort of, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see and get into the conversation about whether that's still a part of your life, but majority of this conversation is going to kind of go a little bit differently. So before we get into that, uh, let everyone know who you are, what it is that you do. I'm going to pass it over to you. Nice. Uh, thanks for having me, Brittany. It's really nice awesome. being here again. Um, yeah, really nice of you to really, really like reach out. That's nice. I haven't heard from you in a while. I know. Uh, but I have seen your work on social media. It's very nice. I see all your interviews, your little videos. It's very nice. Um, Thank you so much. For myself, what I've been doing, honestly, it's just been a lot of like work behind the scenes. I've been trying yeah. to really focus on like capital growth as far as my portfolio goes. Yeah. Making sure that I actually have a lot more independence now just because um, I guess my responsibilities are different this time around. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just making sure that financially unstable that's the main that's the main priority at the moment good that's incredible and you know what you're not i mean you're how old 24 24 24 yeah so it's very interesting and quite refreshing (laughs) to hear a 24 year old say that that like that is what your main goal is right now is to you know make yourself as financially stable as possible and financially independent and uh and yeah, that's, that's great. So are you, what are you doing? Like, are you working a nine to five right now? Yeah. So I work a nine to five. Uh, I work for a bank. So 
Great. That's my main uh, income stream, I guess. That would be what yes. you would say my main income stream is. Um, awesome. Aside from that, obviously, it's just side hustles or any kind of, I don't want to call it side hustles. Honestly, it's just any form or means for me to gain excess capital. I say excess because your nine to five, in my opinion, should cover your main yeah. um, financial responsibilities. Everything else should be accessible for you for like extras, right? Whatever you would want to do afterwards. For yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. And uh, having passive income is sort of the way of the world right now. Um, and not, you know, despite the pandemic, uh, I think just in general, just how expensive, you know, living costs have become over the years. I mm -hmm. think, I think our generation has really shown that, you know, your nine to five is, is not the end all be all. And because of that increase of living costs, you know, stream, uh, multiple streams of income is something that has become more and more important. So let me ask you, what was sort of the shift from, you know, your focus on sports and athletics and powerlifting to, you know, really focusing in on the financial aspect of your life and building that, you know, that capital, that extra um, financial stability? What sort of happened? I don't think there was ever a shift. I think just there was a misconception. People really focused on me being, well, at that time, right, well, champ, like I really was invested in powerlifting as a whole as an athlete firsthand. But I think people forgot that I did coach. And at that time when I coached, it's actually when I had the most clientele. Yeah. That was the biggest like turning point, I would say, if mm -hmm. you call it turning point. But that's capital and like, financial income really was always my main focus. It's always been my main focus. I just never spoke about it or was more outspoken about it like during that time. Yeah. Um, it's only as of recent because now people I would say are less or it's not as taboo to talk about finances nowadays compared to what it was like maybe a few years back. A few years back, if I talked to someone about investments or if I talked to someone about like, let's say money, they would be pretty hesitant to talk about it or they would want to close off the conversation very quickly. Now, yeah. a lot more people are open-minded to concepts of talking about like, let's say, I don't know, savings plans for your future or just current saving plans for let's say activities now or what you want to do in five years, two years, one year, what your plans are this year, what your capital or what you even want to get with your portfolio or what, you, what you're looking to do with your actual money right now or what kind of, let's say, liabilities you have right now. People are actually more open to talking about that. Back then, no one really wanted to talk about how much they made or what they did, um, which I don't think it's a topic you should talk about in general, but it, it's behind closed doors, it's very open. It's, a, it's a more open concept. People are willing to be more vulnerable now with their finances. It's and do you, do you say that when you say people, are you talking more people like in our age group, like in their like early 20s, everywhere. late everywhere. 20s, or you mean everywhere? Everyone. Yeah, everyone. Interesting. Everyone. Yeah. yeah. Everyone. I think, yeah, you're right. It is a little bit of a taboo topic. Like you're always really hesitant to ask somebody how much they make uh, or along with like how old they are, depending on who they talk, <laughs> on who you talk to. But yeah, finances is always something really hard unless you're a part of that person's family. But even sometimes when you're a part of that person's family or really close circle, they don't want to talk to you about it because I think it comes from, now correct me if I'm wrong, but it comes from a little bit of place of shame or embarrassment, like if they feel like they're not at a certain level at a certain point in their life, then they're more hesitant to share that with you. Do you, do you sure. feel yeah. that? 
I can see that for sure because society definitely placed us on a pedestal or at least a hierarchy of where good and bad income is. Mm-hmm. Um, but people forget to realize that income is just, how do I say this? Um, income by number doesn't really matter if your liabilities are not, like if your liabilities are up to par with your income, it doesn't matter. It's all about take home at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. My, my best explanation is that someone that makes 30,000, but has a liabilities of only like take 2000 living at home with their parents, they're taking home 28 K by the end of the year. They're doing, they're someone, doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> Versus someone that's doing like, let's say 70,000 and someone that's taking home only 5,000 a year end because they're spending 65,000. Like you're only taking home 5,000. Yeah. You make more on paper. Oh, what are you really taking home at the end of the day? What's your year end? I think people forget the bigger picture. They look too closely on like the day-to-days or if not like how much they make per hour versus somebody. It's your year end, five-year end, 10-year end. Like that's what you're looking at. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting that you say that because when you think about, you know, when you do end up having these conversations and somebody does say how much they make, And if it is more than you, I feel like, oh man, they're able to have a little bit more financial freedom than I am. But you made such an excellent point. If their liabilities are a lot higher than mine, then really that's not the case. At the end of the day, they could be taking home the same amount that I'm taking home. Pretty much, yeah. So that's an excellent point to make. Uh, So I know that you went went back to school not Hmm. too long ago. Was it specifically for... Uh, more like financial literacy or business oriented? Oh man, um, school's a, a weird topic because not a weird topic. It's actually that I, I put like, I stepped into a lot of different fields that I wanted to try. Yeah. Um, but realistically, I saw the industries and I didn't fall in love with the industry in the long term. Okay. So a few of them, the first one was actually avionics. So I was actually in aircraft maintenance. Ah. Um, tried it, loved the actual concepts of it aircraft and how aircraft are being built repairs um i love the mechanical aspects of it the only thing was as far as like job opportunities went when i was looking into it i didn't like the locations as to where Mm. it was how far it was um where these places were if i wanted to change or even move into different let's say companies right okay your easiest ones are your airports obviously yeah close to cities but outside of that you got manufacturing um like anyone that does manufacturing that's around or outside the actual like living areas of the city because they need a lot of land to house these aircrafts right right um next i actually went into massage therapy so massage therapy was actually great i love massage (laughs) therapy that's where i learned a lot of the um rehab really um learned a lot of um anatomy there and i could actually apply that to when i was coaching the clients it helped a lot with rehab um it helped a lot with also like teaching my clients new techniques or even like understanding new um, just things to be more aware of really with their uh, body. Yeah. Get, yeah, exactly. To be a little bit more independent with their training. Cause that's yeah. really what I like to coach like independence and training. Um, I feel the then, same way. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then next I went into accounting actually. Accounting okay. is something I wanted to finish, uh, but due to like personal situations, I didn't get to finish that. Okay. Uh, that was actually really, really good for myself because I felt like I took it because with business in itself, I'm very hands-on. I'm very quick to like jump onto something and actually try and make it work really fast. The only thing that that didn't work well for myself was that I would 
interns move a little too fast and not be good at the back end stuff. Okay. And I wouldn't be able to do a lot of like administrative work, which is actually getting things down on paper. I always had to either hire out or find someone to help me do that. But at the end of the day, if it is your, your business, you have to be diligent with everything. And you have to know all, all sides of like, of it, right? You need to know all your corners. And you yeah, have to you, make, yeah, you make such a good point. Uh, I was actually having this conversation with somebody the other day. Uh, and they were very adamant on the fact that like, if you don't know something about your business, um, you should, you know, hire an ex expert, you should consult an expert about it. But it's good to at least have the basics of the ask of the different aspects of your business, whether it be, you know, whether it be marketing or whether it be the accounting aspect, especially when your business starts to grow, uh, there are certain things that you'll be like, oh, maybe I should consult somebody who is a little bit more, who's a little bit more of an expert in this specific field, like accounting, like PR, whatever it may be. But I like what you said there where it's like, it's good to have, you know, the knowledge of these different aspects. Because, I mean, there's a lot of things that happen in business where people try to take advantage of you. Like even these experts, you know, try to take advantage. Um, but it's also just good to know these different aspects because you don't know where that could take you in your business. If you really get a hold of the knowledge of what it takes to grow your business, um, then you can sort of build these different branches of your business, right? And you can confidently walk into, you know, whatever sort of meeting, if you're, you know, if you're pitching your business or whatever it may be, and be able to speak from different aspects. So, and, you know, consulting others who are not, or who are more of an expert in that field, I don't see anything wrong with that. But you having the, at least the basics of those different aspects, I think is really key. So yeah. That it's so great that you mentioned that uh, because, yeah, and I mean, like even the steps that you took to kind of get to where you are, you did a little bit of dabbling and, uh, and do you feel like now you've reached a point where finance is where you, where you want to stay and where you see sort of you building your future with? Um, yeah, I'm going to answer that question too, but. I think I want to add on to your last point there. Too. For sure. I don't think I don't think it's more so um, negating the fact that someone can really chip you during a business deal or even like making sure that you have the upper hand in a business scenario. Yes. It's more so I think for myself, it's just being able to be knowledgeable enough to ask the right questions. Because in this day and age, you really you really don't know anything until you can ask the right questions. It doesn't matter how open-ended the topic is. You have to know which questions you're asking to even get the specifics of, of what you're looking for. Because yeah. you could keep Googling whatever you want to keep Googling, but like unless you're Googling the right specific like question, you're not getting the right answers that you're looking for, right? You're always just going to get general answers all the time. And if yeah. there may be any things that actually make the changes in that, it's those little like finer details that give you the actual specificities of what you're looking for. Um, hmm. but as far as finance and what that goes with, I like finance a lot. I like working with money. Um, yeah. it's definitely very fun. Um, I like working with wealthy, like wealthy clients. I, that's nice. thing. I like, I like talking to clientele. It's, just yeah. different, it's, it's a different atmosphere for it. And like understanding how 
like I want to go back to something you said earlier as well, where you said yeah. um, you're talking about how if you aren't making a certain amount, it, or if let's say the topic of of money comes into play and someone may not talk about it because of a, it comes from a place of shame. Yes, it's something that I've learned, like coming from the bank, like working from the bank. Yes. Do you know how much like the one percent that make? Because it's it's pretty high, but at the same time, it's nothing. Like hmm. in the bank, you'd be surprised how many people walk in with over like five hundred thousand in their account, but that's still considered nothing. How? How? <laughs> how like I guess just uh, the way well, that they're living well, their life. Up, not even that. Think about it like this: you can liquidate up five hundred thousand in a year if you wanted to. Yeah. Not generational wealth. Ah, yeah, that's not gonna last you a lifetime. It can, if you if you're very diligent with your money, of course it can. Absolutely. Right? But at the same time, you have fear in your hands. Unless you're in the millions, which is even coming from clientele that we have, like, even if you're in the millions, you're still scared. Yeah. In this day and day and age, there's nothing to be ashamed of, like with your income at any point. To me, if you're working and you're actually creating a constant income or something is coming in, it doesn't matter if it's a constant income or not. If you're working and you're getting some kind of cash flow in to at least help you within your situation, you're fine. You're above like the average, in my opinion, because it's hard to find work in general. You know, like yeah. people are fortunate to be working. So I don't absolutely, think yeah, especially right now. And uh, and yeah, and thank you for that perspective because uh, I think I think it's true. I think if you're working your butt off, it, it goes a long way, no matter how much you're making. If you are working your butt off and you are enjoying what you're doing or you're providing for your family, um, then a lot of times, like, there's no greater joy than that. Uh, I was like, just to sort of uh, do a little spinoff to to this conversation about, you know, having really wealthy clients and that not really mean a lot. Uh, It kind of begs the question, like, you know, Money doesn't really necessarily bring happiness or doesn't necessarily bring security. Because well, so, is your habit. Your uh, habit it's how you, how you handle situations around you. You could have zero dollars and still be wealthier than the next person. Yeah. It's because you know how to make that next five dollars. That's pretty much it. It's how your habits work. Interesting. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. If you're, if you're making a lot of money and your habits are like, well, as soon as you see that money, that money is flying right out of your accounts, then you really have nothing to show for it. But, uh, but yeah, if you're diligent and, uh, you're really knowledgeable on or understanding generational wealth and, and how to develop that, then yeah, like you said, you don't have to be making a lot of money to start from somewhere at least. You know, uh, so another another sort of aspect that you're that you're showing, or at least that I've seen a bit of on social media, is investing, and how you've been personally going and venturing into that. Mm-hmm. So speak to that a little bit. Tell me how that sort of started. What sort of you know drove you into that direction? What have you sort of discovered through investing? Um, I've always been investing, but as far as like stock market investing, I didn't quite like it too much at a certain point. Okay. At the beginning of it, at least early on during the pandemic, I saw the uptrend in stocks, not because I think it was a great investment tool and 
Also, to clarify things, I think people have the big misconception where they hear investing, they think it's only stocks. It's not. Anything, anything. I think that. Any, well, any, <laughs> yeah, see, like in any time that you take $1 and you, you purchase something with it to try and flip that into $2, or let's say you're just trying to take whatever initial capital you have and you're trying to make it into more capital, that's investing. It could be okay. anything like me buying clothes and then printing my logo on it and then reselling it to someone is investing. Right, that's investing. Fair in enough. Tea, I didn't even right? think about it that way. Yeah, like think bubble tea. You know, like bubble tea is not bubble tea. People sell to you for seven dollars, but to buy the machine is like let's say thousand bucks. To buy yeah. let's say the powder is another thirty. Let's say to buy the tapioca is another thirty for a kilo. Right, like but at the end of the day, the the capital is that thirty five percent gain that they get. Let's say from selling you the actual made product. That's investing right. too, right? That's investing into a business. Right. Stocks for what I did was I saw the uptrend not because I thought. Stocks were a great investment vehicle. I actually don't even like stocks that much. I do, but not really. Okay. Um, what do you not like about it? It fluctuates too much, and it's dependent on the market in itself, and it's dependent on the investors in itself. And I'm not talking about the regular investors at the bottom, which is, there's a lot of them, but they're yes. easily influenced by the people up top who hold the large amounts of shares. Mm. It's a trickle down, like it's a hierarchy, and it trickles down right. very easily. You can right. have big brokers like, liquidating a stock easily within a day, especially in penny stocks, which is what I, <sighs> what I focused on. So for myself, so unpredictable. it is, it is, it's, yeah. it's not, it's not, how do I say this? If you're hoping to get rich off of stocks, like quickly, it could happen if you're lucky. Yes. In cases of that AMC, um, GameStop, Dogecoin or Dogcoin, you know, yeah. um, a whole lot of it, but it's, it's a hard thing to predict. That's why it takes many analysts to even figure out what good stocks are. But to get like back into that, like for yeah. myself, I dove into stocks because I saw the actual uptrend in it because of the amount of people staying home due to the pandemic. That's why I stuck to the Canadian market because okay. I could tell the time frame in the Canadian market. I didn't know what was happening in the U.S. I couldn't predict right. the U.S. market. They say, yeah, U.S. is more fruitful. You get more gains. It's true because... Think about it like this, U.S. to Canada in comparison, there's 10, 10 to 1 with every stock, basically. They have like 10 times more stock than we do. So you okay. have a lot more variety in buying. The only thing with that, too, is now you got to filter 10 times more companies. Yes. Kind of analysis on which ones to buy. And yeah. one thing I learned as I was going through it is it's a long process. So I actually learned everything I learned from my best friend. His name is Oliver Falsis. This guy was like a genius when it came to understanding which stocks to look for. I don't know what he saw in these graphs and what he saw in these analysis, but he was good at it. Like he just knew what to look for. Yeah. But myself, my thing was more so on the, how do I say this? I looked at the market a lot more broadly aside from just the numbers. Cause he was great at analyzing numbers and he would actually tell me how it would look on its actual like balance sheet. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, this makes sense. This makes sense. This makes sense. Yes. For myself, I like to look at the trend of how people reacted to it. So I looked on a lot of forums and I, I like to see how the majority of people actually reacted to certain things. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? A little bit of both. Good thing is that one thing I like with this form of my investing is volume. I like to really trade on volume. I like to see that because for me, I need people to be buying something for it to move. If it's not, right. it doesn't matter for me how expensive or how good the price is on this stock. If it's not moving, I don't care about it. It's not doing anything within the next five five to 10 days, I needed to do something within a week to two weeks. So what you're sort of, you're analyzing habits and behavior, like people's yeah, habits much. and behaviors. Yeah, pretty much. 
That's what you're looking for because you can see the uptrend and you can see where it drops. And when it drops, you can tell that it's going to drop to a certain point. And you're going to be like, okay, cool. How are people reacting to this? Are people still buying? So you can see if people are still buying the stock. Okay, right. they're still buying, which means this is probably going to go up right after. So, you know, don't hold it. Sell the top. You know, what we wait for to recover and when it recovers, come back into it. Because I like to look at trend too. So for a lot of people, they panic at the sight of, let's say, a drop. And that's cool. You can do that because you don't want to hold the capital loss. But at the same time too, if you know it's, how do I say this? I don't know how to explain my train of thought right now. It's like. <laughs> no it's worries. Like, Take your time. Yeah, because it, it's, it's a complicated topic. It's like. Yeah. You can actually see. Oh, no, I can't say that because you, can, you can't see, you can't predict anything. You really can't <laughs> predict anything. It's more so like you can see a trend. For me, I only, I only place when I see trends. I only place um, purchases when I see the trend, meaning okay. I don't care if I sense. lose that on the initial. So a yes. lot of people, they nitpick each pen because I, I stuck to penny stocks because myself, this is the way I looked at it. You could buy the big stocks completely. No, nothing wrong with blue chip stocks at all. They're they're great. They, they got a steady balance sheet. They've got a long report in history. You know where their company is headed in the next five to 10 years, most likely. They already have all of that released. But with you need more stocks. money to invest in those kinds, correct? Yes, yes and no. Yes and no. Because you'll be playing with the same numbers at penny stocks, too. You're not changing your initial investment capital. It doesn't matter. You okay. could be investing 500 penny stocks and 500 blue chip stocks. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Okay. It's just, to me, it's the rate of growth, right? Mm. Rate of growth on these big blue chip stocks are you looking at one to two percent, maybe three percent at the end of the year, if not more. Obviously, if they grow right, right, they can go up to like 20 30 percent if they grow really big. But with small penny stocks, people don't realize you can get a 200 percent increase within a month. But now, that's, that's because, how much are you investing in those? Penny it doesn't matter, stocks, no, it doesn't okay, matter. It's the same okay. amount. It's just because what you're holding is now a lot more shares per dollar. Mm. Think about it, right. Let's say you have a 10 cent stock, okay. right? For $1, you'd be getting 10 stocks. Okay. So yes. For a hundred of those, you'd be what? Getting, so if it's. Let's pull like, the calculator out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I'm just, I don't know. Yeah, no, I hear Like you'd be getting like a thousand, right? So let's yes. say for a hundred dollars, you're just getting a thousand, right? So, so for that's my thing. You're going off of like. And now let's say each one of those stocks goes up by, let's say one penny or even two or three. Okay. Right. That's 10% on each of those. Right. You have to think about that. Like one penny is 10%. And it's more you've dispersed Cause you've dispersed your, your investing throughout like these different penny stocks. Not, right? not necessarily. I, I don't, I just focus on one, two, maybe three or four at most. Okay. I don't go many because I don't believe, I don't believe in shooting a hundred shots and hoping three lands. No, yes. I, I want to I wanna hit every single target I, I look for. And that's why I'm diligent, like what I'm, I'm actually investing in. I do a lot of research in it. Me and my, like, my best friend, we use a lot of platforms just to understand what each of these stocks were. We were constantly from like, so from 9.30 to like 4.30, you'd be looking up actual new stocks, new upcoming companies, any early IPOs, anything that might be like, that might catch your eye because it might not even be directly for that company, but it may cause a chain effect with other companies because, okay, cool. We know, let's say this month, junior mining is going to be down because it's raining. What are we going to uh. be looking into? You know, like, what are we looking into? Oh, look, um, let's say Bitcoin, all these cryptocurrencies are going up. Oh, let's invest in, in companies that invest in crypto. 
Right. Like ride the wave with them. Ride the wave. Okay, oh, cool. This makes this, a lot of sense. Yeah, this month we know like Bitcoin's going down. We see it because Bitcoin's going down, but this share is still up. Sell it, bro. Let's just sell it. Let's just go down. Let's sell it. We know it's, you know, it might drop. Let's not hold it. Oh, look, all of a sudden it dropped. Yes. Okay, cool. We know we had our, we didn't get the most capital gains. We didn't ride all the way to the top, but we made gains. We didn't, we didn't, you know, we didn't. Yeah, we, we didn't completely lose out. Yeah, we didn't get and that's to, yeah, and that's all based on you guys studying the behavior and the decisions of these yeah. companies, right? So Honestly, for some, the market, yeah, the yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so for somebody who has never invested before, and this is like me speaking personally, oh, yeah. because yeah. I am the I am that person who has never. Well, that's not true. I I have had some stocks set up for me, mm-hmm. uh, but that was based on a family member who did it for me. I didn't really do any of the research um, or, or sort of, uh, yeah, any of the research to know what these companies that I was investing in. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just sort of a family member guiding me at a younger age, which I really appreciated because that was something that was set up for me quite young. Yeah. Uh, however, now that I'm sort of starting fresh, uh, and what I have seen from you, and I think what is a lot of the misconception behind investing is like, you need a lot of money to invest. No. Right? Once, once money gets bigger, it just... Yes. Yeah. Right. So like for someone like myself, what would you think would be someone starting fresh, someone that's not really understanding the market or investing in general, just has all these misconceptions. Where would you feel as though it was a good place to start? That's a really hard question because it comes down to a lot of things. Like you want to really self-evaluate yourself. Okay. What are you looking into for the future? How fast do you want to grow? How much risk are you willing to take? Ask ah. yourself those questions, right? Okay. So with each of those questions, they technically trickle into each different department. If you're looking into the market in itself, if your investment type is going to be within shares of companies. So shares of companies is like stocks any kind of shares, like any mutual funds, index funds, whatever kind of shares you want to take on, right? It's all the same. It's just different vehicles. They're really all the same. It's just vehicles. So the basic breakdown of it is if you're buying individual stocks, you're a self-directed investor. That means you control your own portfolio. You have 100% control of anything. That means you have to buy, you have to sell, you have to maintain, you have to look at all the ups and downs of the company. Good and bad to that? Yeah, there is. Absolutely. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of time. It is. It definitely yes. is. But the thing is with that, it depends on the type of, of stocks you're buying too. Are they highly volatile? Meaning that they go up and down on a constant basis. Right. You know, is there a lot of volume? Is there a little bit of volume? Sometimes having a little bit of volume is actually good. That means it keeps its, its steady pace in, in, in its uh, price range. Right. right. That's a good thing. Um, sometimes you don't want it to go too expensive, like too fast. Because if it grows too fast, you know there's going to be a downfall because all the investors that got all that money really fast, especially early on, but want to sell off, take their profits. And that's where the big drops come in because those are the guys that are holding the big amounts of shares, right? Yeah, and influence. Want, yeah, you don't, you don't want it to go too fast sometimes either. That's uh, also a bad thing. So that's risky, but good, right? That's why it's yes. so confusing. Um, this is just individualized stocks now. Let's say you don't want to take care of your own portfolio. I would, my first suggestion is always talk to, to a financial advisor. Go seek your own financial advisor. Right. And I'm not talking about just going into your bank and talking to some random. You could talk to many randoms. Find someone that genuinely cares about you. Someone that genuinely cares about your, your personal incentives. Tell them you want to grow your, your wealth. You want to grow your portfolio. 
you want someone to help guide you to the right direction in these constant step, like steps within the next few years because wealth isn't growing overnight. Just yeah. because you bought a stock doesn't make you rich overnight. It won't. You have to take time over time to like build your wealth again through habits, right? Being diligent with what you're actually buying. So yes. the second part with that is if you're with an advisor and let's say you want someone else to take um, control of your stocks for you, right? There's multiple ways to going about that, but let's go with the most common. You can get mutual funds. Okay. Mutual yeah. funds are yeah. Mutual funds are usually um, how do I say this? I don't say controlled, but it's it's a basket of funds usually bought by a company, and it you're reinvesting into that same mutual fund that the company bought, right? Like each bank usually has their own mutual fund of stock that they buy. That's Thank you for explaining way. that because yeah. I do I do have a mutual fund uh, set up, mm-hmm. and it's like it's for my uh, RRSP account. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is your retirement savings account. Mm-hmm. And uh, for anyone that doesn't know, but yeah, it's, it's good. Thank you for explaining it to me like that. Because again, uh, you're, you're so right. When you want to seek out this sort of information, you need to seek it out uh, from someone that cares about you or from somebody that has been in the business for quite a long time. Uh, and it's okay. Cause what I've, experience is that it's okay to sort of shop around for the right financial advisor for you because the first one that you talk to is not necessarily the one that is a right fit for you. So for, yeah, for my personal experience, uh, I was never, I never really got explained to like what a mutual fund was in a way that I could fully understand. And I think that that comes like a lot of fear comes with things like, you know, things that you want to do for yourself financially is because there's so much out there and it's hard to wrap your head around all of these things. But yeah, I want to thank you for explaining that to me and the, and what mutual funds are, you know, when it comes to the nitty gritty of it, uh, because yeah, I wasn't really explained that. (laughs) Yeah. So with mutual funds, it's great because you don't have to do a lot of the self-directed stuff, but again, you don't have control over what they can buy. You really can't unless Actually, I don't even know if they offer that service in most banks where they tell you a specific mutual fund. And that's where index funds really go into. Think of index funds as, as the same thing. There's a lot of index funds you could buy. Okay. Right? But in most cases now in most banks, you can buy a specific industry of index funds. Meaning, let's say it'll buy you the top 500, 200, 100, depending on how much risk you want to take on. You know, they say the more diversified you are between more companies, the less risk. At least, I obviously can't speak on that. I'm not a financial advisor. I can't speak on that. That's completely separate. But in index funds, you can technically buy certain industries now. You want to do tech, you do tech. You know, you want to buy, let's say, medical, you can buy medical, right? Got it. In my opinion, if you're a medical professional, you know, invest in your your industry. You understand your industry. Invest in what you understand. That's my thing. Ah, That's always been my thing. Invest in what you understand because you can't relearn a whole new industry overnight. But you can understand your industry very well and you probably know which companies are doing well already in your your industry and you understand what's probably going to happen, right? Um, Perfect example, I would say, is actually my girlfriend. She is a med lab technologist, but she also does consulting for a U.S. company as they do research for COVID right now. Um, and she understands 
um, how do I say it? She understands the health industry. She was right. asking me some question on what she should do. And I told her the same thing. The minute I brought up the medical um, industry, she yeah. knew exactly what each of these companies were. So it just and wouldn't make like, sense for her. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm like, all right. So if that's the case, then talk to your advisor. And this is probably going to be, you know, something you want to bring up. Okay. Yeah. So this is, yeah, this has been very, very helpful. So I want to know because, you know, and I want to get a little bit more into your personal company that you've built, Prevail. Mm -hmm. And have you used or what, what sort of have you used to build your company financially or for you to have enough money to pursue this business as much as you've had thus far? I mean, we've talked about, in, you know, investing. We've talked about, you know, just having that good financial literacy um, in order for you to make the right move. When it comes to building savings that you want to use to invest within your own company, how, what has worked for you? Uh, work for me. Let's see. The best thing is, honestly, finding the right suppliers. That was the main thing because a lot of you could easily start a company. Okay. Anyone can start a company. It doesn't really matter. Okay. But it's allocating your funds and understanding like where funds are actually going and are you getting the most for your dollar? Two people can sell you the same thing, but one person can sell you sell you one thing for like thirty percent more and you wouldn't even know because you didn't shop around. Yeah. Yeah. Fair but enough. Honestly, that. So at the beginning, for myself. A lot of it, the hardest part was honestly finding a supplier because it's so limited during that time. So it, it wasn't too long ago since I started Prevail. It was probably initially when I actually made my first batch of shirts for competition, that was probably 2017, 2018. Okay. So not too long ago. But during that time, the market was actually pretty bad when it came to suppliers. There were no local suppliers. There's not too many. Online supplying was very hard because it all came from overseas directly usually from China. And if you did it through, let's say, the mediums of like AliExpress, Alibaba, whatever you wanted to do back then, it was very limited in suppliers and a lot of them were fake. Mm. So it's hard to filter. It's hard to filter. I went through my own ups and downs when it came down to like manufacturing because, you know, sometimes you send a wire and it doesn't go through. I don't, right. Doesn't go, well, it goes through, but what I mean is they send your packages into a different country. So Right. Right. So you're um, not, you're not really a hundred percent sure on the legitimacy of these suppliers yeah. unless you, you've kind of it's, gone through the ups and downs and yeah, it's a discovered. big game of, yeah, pretty much it's a big game of like, um, trial and error with that. And it's just finding the right connections as time passes. Right. But right. luckily due to the upturn in drop shipping, Amazon FBA and all of these new fulfillment centers, right. Manufacturing has actually grown so much in the last two years where you can probably find maybe maybe five times the amount of suppliers now compared to before prices dropped significantly for clothing you'd be shocked at some ah. of the things you buy do you own anything gym sharks no i don't do you own anything that's like nike or like yeah, yeah big apparel brands yeah yes yes you'd i be do shocked at their margins to how much they actually buy each of those garments for so to give you perspective um, okay, let, let me ask you a question. How much is an average Nike t-shirt to you? Like, how much would you pay for a t-shirt at Nike? How much would I? Nor wow. Yeah. Um, it could go anywhere from like, I don't know, like 40 bucks to maybe like 60 or 70. Right. Depending on the type of shirt, if it's like dry fit or whatever the quality is. Yeah. All of those shirts are under $5. Wow. 
Ja. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And But the company has to make a dollar or more than a few dollars. Because yeah. especially with their with the large scale of like the amount that they're buying, the bulk amount, it's very cheap. Very, very right. cheap to make those. But again, that's not where pricing comes from. Pricing comes from the marketing aspect. Remember, they have to pay for marketing to just market that product. That's right? very that's true. To, yeah, they're shipping, right? They're branding. There's a lot of things that go into pricing. So it's not just the price of the product. Um, <laughs> but that's one thing I learned though. Like, so for myself, I funded everything just for me. Like you had, you had money like saved away. Was this yeah. like as a result of investing and you just like had this lump sum now or was uh, it a little bit of both financial? a little bit of both so what i always okay. did was i never really how do i say this i never really was like oh i'm gonna dedicate this much money in two years i'm gonna put out into it no way like for me it was just like i saw the market opening okay At the time when i opened prevail for competition it was only because i had a lot of clients i wanted to compete and they're like hey man i want to wear a shirt on platform but i don't want to wear these other companies no they want to represent then, you yeah so then i started to get it get it a little bit more and more. I made one shirt and then people were like, yo, you know, like I want one too, I want two, I want two. So, okay, cool. Let me try and make a batch. So I made a batch, this and that. Took that money and just started making new other stuff. Like right. made some hoodies. I made a lot of private sales. That's the one thing I like because I like private sales where it was like cash on hand. Ah, okay. I was going to ask you, I was like, what, what do you mean private sales? <laughs> yeah. So that's the one thing you wanted to, you want to really learn in life is the power of leveraging with cash. You want to leverage okay. your cash a lot. It gives you a lot of like buying power. Okay. Think about it like this. If you give someone cash today and you tell them, hey man, I'm going to buy this from you. Let's say it's worth 5,000. You give it to them and you're like, yeah, I'll give you 3,000 today. Sometimes people are willing to take a $2,000 deduction so they don't have to wait two weeks. Or to to receive the after. money. Yeah. They need ah. it today. Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting because, you know, you sort of, you didn't plan for you know, you didn't plan for prevail. It was just sort of like, okay, the money that you had in savings, you would sort of use that to seek out a supplier and then just start making the shirts from there. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And it's, it's funny because you, you also were living at home or you're still living, you're still living was, at home. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. on my own now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're I'm on your own, own now. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. People, again, people have this misconception about like living at home. Cause I know for a while that you were, but I mean, you know, especially the younger generation, it's like, we got to take more advantage of those opportunities. If you're able to live from home, which it feels like you definitely did, you know, take advantage of the times where, you know, you don't have to spend money in certain areas. Like, you know, for example, paying like high, high, high Toronto rent. Um, mm -hmm. Even if you were giving your your parents some money, um, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't, it's different when, when you live with, you know, with parents mm -hmm. for, for a lot of times, uh, you know, and you may have to pay a little bit of rent uh, or whatnot or help out around the house. I'm not 100% sure of what your situation is um, or was, but I always tell people, especially like the younger 20-somethings, if you have the opportunity to save money in certain areas, um, for example, like you get to live at home and you pay like a fraction of some rent um, or you help out with groceries, like use those, use your paycheck and like save and, and really use your money wisely 
because it will help you to build you know, down the line when you want to set aside some money and build your own small business, um, whether it be a physical product, um, something tangible or non-tangible, you'll have something to start up, you know, a website um, or, you know, set up your suppliers like you like you were mentioning. I think it's about like being really smart with your money. And, and I feel like our whole conversation has really been about that where it's about making smart decisions with your money, no matter how wealthy you may think someone is or how, you know, how you think someone is not making a lot of money doesn't really matter because if neither one of them are smart with their money or someone who's not making a lot of money is smart and the person who is making a crap ton of money is not smart, then, uh, then yeah, that sort of that deciding factor, your habits, like you said, will really decide on, you know, your financial gains and, and having that sort of cushion per se to know that like, okay, I feel, I feel a little bit secure. I feel okay. Um, and if I want to take that risk, you know, I can take it because I've been smart with my money. For sure. And I think you're, I think you're a great example of that. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Uh, I don't know about that, but that's, I mean, that's really nice. Um, but (laughs) For myself, the way I look at it, if you do live on your own or you choose to live on your own, it's not so much so, or you shouldn't really be thinking about the rent you're paying in a sense that, oh my God, it's so expensive, or I should I could have been staying home and saving so much money. There's benefits to both sides. For myself, the way I I look at it is that if you do live on your own, like you mentioned, it's different than living at home. You are investing in your your own independence. And that's the one thing that you can't learn when you're at home. Even learning how to cook, learning how to clean after yourself, like learning how to just maintain your space around you without, let's say, a mom or a dad constantly nagging you to do it, right? You're working on you turning into an adult. That's really what it is. And I think the earlier you get to do that in life, the more beneficial because you learn a lot of the lessons you should have learned or are going to learn later in life early on. And so you can make those mistakes early than like later on in time. So for myself, like I like my situation because at least at this point, like I'm learning all the, the ups and downs of, let's say, living on my own. Yeah. You know, it's lonely at times. It's lonely for sure. Like it's because you're, you're, how do I say it? It's so quiet, but it's so peaceful. <laughs> it's what I love. It is. It's what I love. It's so peaceful because then you can finally be in your own headspace. And I've never really had that time where when I was living at home, I was in my own headspace and was able to actually fully think. And right. you're like, you can set up your space to how you like it. Yeah, I have an office. I get my own space. I have my own little space where I have like all my equipment and all the clothes that I have. I can just make this into like my messy room. <laughs> the messy room. Yeah, yeah, The yeah, creative yeah. space. The creative space. That sounds, that sure, sounds let's better. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is where I get to test everything. This is where I finally get to just do what I want to do, you know? Yeah. Um, and to like, has own tax write-offs. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Got its own benefits. That's um, that's very true. You yeah. know, when you do have your own business, a lot of things you can you can write off right. for sure. Your everything. <laughs> yeah, actually, like your internet, your your anything that you use within your house. If you're running your business anything within you your house, justified that you use for business. Yes. that's really the word to it. <laughs> anything you can justify that was used for business. Yeah, that's absolutely, true. and that's something that I'm learning as well is you know 
other things that come along with being a small business owner and really being in charge and taking charge is understanding all of these aspects, whether it be, you know, taxes, whether it be what would be the best, you know, move for me in terms of the image of my brand, as well as a good financial decision that I'm making. Um, Is it going to, there's some risk in it. There are definitely some risk in it because you're really putting yourself out there. But I think what I've gained from this conversation with you is, is that continuing to, you know, learn, especially in that financial literacy world and, and building that can build a framework for a really, really successful life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you build good habits with your financing, you build good habits all throughout your life, mm-hmm. you know, and in what you're able to do with these amazing habits that you've built um, can grow wherever you want it to, wherever you want to take things to. But as long as you can come back to those habits, that's what sort of, especially when you're building your business, that's where you can sort of find that stability in the risk that you're taking and starting your own business. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, That's something like that actually makes a lot of sense to me too, because I don't believe in, how do I say, chasing numbers with your income, because to me, it doesn't matter to how much you really make. Your, well, obviously, it does. Okay, how do I say this? I don't, it's not that it doesn't matter to me. It's just that the numbers at year end doesn't really reflect on how wealthy you are again, like I said. Right. Because for me, it's, life is about extravagancies. How extravagant do you want to be at the end of the day? Right? right. If you can actually maintain your own lifestyle while still upping your income on a regular basis, you're winning. Right? Yeah. You understand how much your liabilities are. If had a cutoff period here while everything else is still growing. But if your liabilities are going the same time at the rate of your, your income, you're not moving. You're just so true. kind of pushing yourself up. But yeah. actually you're waiting to go down. And you, have, and you have those liabilities sort of like creeping. Yeah, like, They're sort of next to you. Because, yeah, because income can come down very fast. It can come down faster than liabilities can go down. Liabilities don't just go away overnight. Right. But your, but your income can. Hmm by your income can. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, I I mean, it's, this conversation has been really, really enlightening to me and very educational. And I think it will be for a lot of people who are just thinking about their finances in general, but also from a perspective of wanting to start their own business and really the habits that you need to maybe already have in place or learn to understand these are the habits that you need to to build whether it be a smaller business or well whether you want to take it from a small business and expand right it all comes down to habits so and it all comes down to you know what what goes on up here what translates to what it is that you do um and just you know being being responsible in the way of not never stop learning it, you know, and, and always being open to understanding, you know, okay. Yeah. I don't really like to talk about my financial situation, but it's like, but if you want to make a move, like starting your own business, like this is something that you have to sort of dissect, you know, um, and, 
and go about it in a way that makes sense for you. So I, yeah, like I, I said, I didn't even imagine this conversation going this route. Um, I wanted to, you know, before we were recording, I was like, yeah, like, let's talk about like how investments could help you help you like build a savings to, you know, grow your own business. But really it's like, how are you going to develop or how are you going to continue to develop your spending habits or your financial literacy in building habits in approaching your finances, how is that going to help you build a small business? Or how is that going to help you in general go about making generational wealth? Yeah. yeah. Well, to add on to that too, because your personal habits really do reflect on the business. How are you going to carry over your personal bad habits and create a start and start a business? Because that's only just going to trickle down into your business. Mm-hmm. Your business is going to have the same follow-up in its financials right? Just because you start a business doesn't necessarily mean you're clear and good, you know? Like, oh, you gotta, yeah, you got to carry over what you have there and bring it over to your business. Like, same thing for me. I said I was weak on the back end stuff, right? The administrative work. So I really tried to learn. I went to school for it for some time, learned how to actually, like, even look at a balance sheet, understand what I'm looking at, understand what I'm actually trying to develop here, where yes. I want it to go, right? Or even, like, I don't want to say what assets yet, but what are real assets? Like understanding what assets I should be looking for because technically anything can be an asset. It's just for how long. Definitely. Definitely. Well, um, I feel like we could talk about, we could go and go on and on and on talking about yeah. this. And I definitely want to, I would love to get a little bit more, uh, you know, information. I know you say you're not a financial advisor, uh, but just, you know, through your own personal experiences, we don't necessarily have to have a title for you to sort of share knowledge that you've grown uh, from your own research. So yeah, I would love to stay in touch and, and get to know a little bit more because investing is something that, I really want to use as a way to um, build that generational wealth. Um, and I'd like to learn more about different types of investing, because like you said, like you can, you can invest in these big, you know, hedge funds or, or whatnot. Um, or you can take the position of, you know, investing in these penny stocks and uh, yeah, there's different, there's different routes but I think this has made me feel a little bit at ease knowing that there's these different routes and knowing that it's like, well, you don't have to have a bunch of money to start growing a savings or start, you know, to really get into your investment journey. So that was, yeah, that was, thank you. That was very eye-opening to me because yeah, I thought it was like, okay, I at least have to start off with like, I don't know, a grand, five grand to put some money into the market, you know? So it, it's really, it's really good to know that that's definitely not the case. All right. Before we head off, I want to get into our lightning round questions. Now, for these particular questions, I'm going to be putting you on the spot a little bit. And, uh, and yeah, you really have the opportunity to answer in a few words or up to a sentence. And so here we go. (laughs) So the first question is, what do you believe to be the future of small businesses or businesses in general? Are we heading to a more online space or are we still looking at that traditional brick and mortar and that still being a consistent trend of how businesses look? A little bit of both. For sure, e-commerce first is going to yeah. be, 
I've seen in the bank. People are adapting to the e-commerce space, hands down, they're going up right now there. Um, but the brick and mortar thing will come back once the pandemic is done and it's only going to be selected to certain stores that can actually create an attraction. Good to know. Awesome. All right. Next question. What is your take on the hustle culture? So what I mean by that is just like work, 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 work on your passion or work on whatever it may be to grow the most amount of wealth and financial security. I feel like, you know, what we're sort of taught in certain aspects of business is, you know, you got to like, you got to grind, you got to grind. Like it's just that hustle and grind culture constantly over and over and over again. Um, what is your take on it? Um, I actually just answered this a few like days ago to someone else as well. So I like, I like the hustle culture and I think that goes back and forth with creating wealth. Okay. Work, 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 work. But I think there is a big misconception to it as well, where people start to now lose sight of what's actually important. Remember, it's health, family, and your actual wellness, mental, physical, anything that has to do with you. Invest in yourself too, right? You investing in work and actually investing in creating wealth, you're not investing in yourself during that time. You're not. You think you are, but you're not. You're really beating yourself up for the future you, which is great because you're young. You can do that for a certain time period. Yeah, but not but forever. You, you can't do it forever. And two, I don't like how the hustle culture actually demonizes the fact that if you don't hit a certain goal by a certain time period, you're behind. That's not mm. true. Everyone has their own time frames, and there's no such thing as time frames. You know, 30s young, 40s young, 20s young, it doesn't matter. It's all perspective. 50s young, it, it doesn't matter. Because I'm telling you, after, like, I've seen it in the bank, it, you, you'd be shocked to who comes in at what age groups that come in with the amount of money they have. It, it's random. Yeah. Yeah, it's random. And you know what? And, again, the basis of our conversation was how you've created – a passive income route for yourself, mm -hmm. right? So I think the definition of income and what it means to build income has definitely changed. Mm -hmm. And having different elements or different outlets of passive income can definitely sort of eliminate or reduce that sort of like nonstop work, 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 work to live, live to work mentality. If you've got these different avenues of passive income going on. So, and I think, again, a great example is, is what we spoke about in our conversation. All right. Last question. Do you think, cause we talked a, you know, a bit about you going back to school, um, and, and really figuring it out as to like how school would make sense for you and, and what you studied, uh, do you think post-secondary education? So whether it be college or university is necessary in building a successful business? building a successful no not in building a successful business okay in building the successful mindset and understanding of an industry yeah for sure to a certain extent but when it comes to creating wealth which is the name of the game in business you're just trying to create wealth really at the end of the game because right. you just want to make money technically you need to fund your business somehow it either needs to fund itself or you need to fund it to right. make money you don't need an it i don't want to say you don't need an education it's going to be a lot easier when it comes down to it but there are multiple ways for you to get money there are multiple ways you don't necessarily have to go the traditional way of school right yeah but when it comes down to now you making a specificity in a certain business yeah obviously having ed an educational background will help you for sure one it's professional two people most likely take you a little bit more seriously they like to see that piece of paper in that frame 
It's true. It's because yes. it does hold its own credentials because you can't, you can't, you can't downplay the fact that it takes a minimum of four years to get a bachelor's. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of tests, a lot of like trial and error during that time frame too, a lot of failures, right? Right. And now if you go into the medical professional field, any kind of professional field, really, you do need, you do need education behind that. Let's say, I don't want to go to a doctor that has no degree. I don't want to go to a lawyer with no, right? For like, sure. You, like you, you have make to a lot. You make a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah. It depends on your industry. Now, if you're talking about the, the general public, if let's say they just want to do something simple, I don't want to say something simple, but let's say you want to get into the restaurant business. What education do you need for restaurant business? Why? Nothing. Right. I know so many people. That Sometimes it's just experience. Yeah. Like you don't, it's honest. It is experience because that is your education. People neglect that. They forget that work experience is educational experience. Yeah. You're learning firsthand at the actual place of where you're actually studying. Right. That's just it. Because you're literally, if you can take a business practice and turn it into your own, that was education for you because you learned the ins and outs of that business and you just pushed it over to your own, which is exactly. somewhat what I did with what I have now because I learned everything from other people and I just gathered little pieces. And like when I was in massage therapy, I was nitpicking RMT's brain. I was nitpicking <laughs> Just asking brain. the right questions. Yeah. Here, when I was in accounting, I was talking to wealthy clients. Talk to wealth advisors, talk to financial advisors, talk to stock traders, everyone, anyone and everyone that was investing. Because why? It gives you perspective on what they're doing. And what they're doing, most likely, if it works, there's a reason why it works. Why are you going to try and like negate the fact that they're, what they're doing is wrong? Right. If it's working, it's working. Why don't you just copy it? Don't reinvent the wheel. <laughs> That's honestly it. I yeah. think people try Good too point. hard to be unique. Yeah, people try too hard to be unique sometimes where they try and reinvent like the wheel or they try and reinvent how something should be done. Right. What makes it, yeah. Yeah. And what makes it unique is you like, that's exactly. what makes it unique. It's your, it's your, it's your, it's how you handle the situation how you actually go about it. Yeah. yeah. That's what makes it unique for sure. Well, thank you so much, John. Uh, JR. I know you go by so many different. <laughs> I know people just call me. Whatever. It's okay. I don't I know. No, I love, yeah, I love the JR. It's cool. It goes yeah. with like, it goes with who you are. Um, and, but again, thank you so much for coming on here and really speaking to us and educating me on maybe what the next best move is for me financially and really breaking it down that, you know, the money comes when the habits are there, when the right mm -hmm. habits are there, when the consistency is there. For sure. Uh, and yeah, I, it was such an educational chat that, I, like I said, I want to keep in touch. I want to have you back on. I know you've got a few things going on behind the scenes, and I'm really, really excited to see them come uh, into full bloom and for you to share all the incredible things. I know whatever it is that you're working on, it's, it's going to come out to be incredible. And you're definitely doing things a little bit differently, especially for our generation and our age group where, you know, if you're not sharing that it's not happening, right? Mm. So if you're not sharing things on social media, then it's not happening and you're doing the opposite, which I highly commend. And I think is incredible because you're working on, like you said before, you're working on the stuff behind the scenes, you know, working on all of the intricacies that go on to then expose and provide this amazing service or product for your business. Yeah. So I really, really admire that. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk soon. And I hope you have yourself a great Sunday.
Bye. Bye. Bye.